Father, we want to thank you that you are present in this room. You know that on our hearts there's nothing more important than serving you, than the, than the benefits of a, of a great relationship that you have ordained. You have said it's not good for men and women to be alone. And Lord, we know that uh, although there are a lot of single people here today, you have a plan for their lives. Lord, we also know that there are a lot of broken relationships. And from the breakups, we have to deal with how do we handle breakups? How do we handle our sexuality? How do we handle it when we have an interest in someone else? How do we handle a relationship that we just want to be uh, reflect your glory and your image? And so, Lord, be with us as we answer these questions. Help it to come from the Word. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, uh, we, I'm just going to dive right in. So let's just take the first one. How can you really get over a girl that you really did care for and miss even after you break up? Well, that applies to about 90% of us. So it could be a boy, it could be a girl. Breakups are tough. Uh, breakups are like a divorce. I mean, it's, it's not that you have the same... Uh, necessarily emotional challenges that you have in a divorce, but it, it, it's something where you feel like you're dying. I, you know, both of us have, have gone through breakups where we had Elsa's, well, my wife had Elsa, I, I was miserable, I didn't feel I could survive another day. Here's the reality. Time does heal. But if you want to heal, you have to let the wound close over. Are you, are you following me? When you keep a wound open, when you keep going back, and you know the typical thing? And we, can, we both had this experience. Oh, we've broken up, but that's okay. We'll just be friends now. You know, we, because we, we miss the friendship, right? That was what held us. That was part of what held us together. So now we miss that friendship, and we think, even though we've broken up, we'll just be friends. The reality is, if you have broken up with a person, you need to get away from that person. Bottom line. Get away from them, and you will heal faster. This kind of thing where you keep seeing them every day, it'll make you miserable. Uh, you'll get ulcers. You'll, you'll have uh, a friendship that seems good, uh, but in the end, it's, it's just going to drag you down. I want to mention on that topic, you know, sometimes you may not be able to get away from them altogether. Maybe, you know, you go to school with this person. You see them in class every day. In that case... You know, keep, remember, those of you who were here earlier when we mentioned the circles of intimacy, communication deeply will continue bonding you deeply. If you don't want to stay close to this person, keep your communication in the outer levels. It's okay, you know, say hi as you walk past if you, if you need to, if you want to, if that's the way that you guys are, fine, you know. Hi, how are you doing? You know, you, know, you walk into a room and they're there, you go, <gasps> and you run the other way. That's not helpful, generally. Um, you'll make your life too dramatic. So you just, you know, hi. Avoid their eyes. If you're going to talk to them, you can share about the weather. You can talk about information, even opinions sometimes. But don't get into talking about your feelings. So how are you doing? I'm doing okay. <laughs> this is not helpful. Stay away from them. If you want to break the bond and heal, don't get into those deeper bonding areas. Emotions, needs and fears. Don't talk about those things with this person or anybody who might share it with this person in hopes that this person will find out just how much you're hurting. This is not helpful. And I would add, don't daydream about it. I talked to somebody who, I don't know, she's even here at GYC. She, she was saying, you know, we broke up months ago, but I'm feeling more and more drawn to him. 
And I said, you know, in my experience, when that happens, it's daydreaming. It's my thinking about this person. And, you know, the, the person you create in your imagination is remarkably agreeable to doing whatever you want your boyfriend or girlfriend to do. Real people are much harder to control. So um, when you create a daydream person, don't be surprised that you fall in love with them very easily. Yeah, one other thing. Uh, don't, don't trust yourself. You will make excuses to go back to the other person. I remember the dumb excuses I made. Like, oh, there's a book that I found that I that I'd borrowed from her once. I went back to my ex-girlfriend, found an excuse to go and visit her, drop off the book. You know, I'm just dropping off the book. Yeah, right. You know, I'm there because I'm emotionally dependent on that other person. And, you, and she said to me later, my ex-girlfriend, I dated for three and a half years. She said to me, I had this open wound, and it's like you kept coming back and dragging your fingers through it. I just needed to heal. So, um, and you may think, well, you know, what if I, if I don't go back, maybe this relationship will be gone forever. The reality, if you do go back, that relationship will be gone forever. So, um, uh, oh, yeah, one more thing on this. She might take you back, and it's the wrong thing. I had a relation, it's the same girl, actually. <laughs> the same girl. She did take me back once because I went, I knew she loved purple, so I went down and I bought these purple flowers after she broke up with me the first time. I bought these purple flowers. I filled up my trunk with purple flowers. I drove back. I opened the trunk. She was mad. She was mad. It was not the reaction I expected because she knew that I was using one thing that would break her barriers down. But sure enough, within a day, she had changed her opinion. She decided to go out with me again. Then we spent another year dating, courting, and then we broke up again. And it was even harder the second time. If I'd just gone with the first breakup, we would have been much better off. Generally, just as a rule, if you break up, it was a good idea. People don't generally just break up for the joy of it. If you broke up, you probably had a good reason to break up. And if you want to go back, you probably don't have a good reason to. So if you're following your heart wanting to go back, it's probably a bad idea. Okay, next question. Is there anything wrong with oral sex? Does the Bible have anything to say about it? Um, some uh, people do suspect that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Some people do suspect that there are some things in Song of Solomon that are talking about oral sex. I won't say one way or the other. I don't know. But um, th- this question, I'm going to take it as two possible questions. One, is there anything wrong with oral sex outside of marriage? Because this is, it may not be a big problem among people here, but you have a lot of friends, chances are, who think, well, you know, we're not having sex. It's just oral sex. I'm still a virgin. Um, that is and a some lie. Some higher people believe that too. Some higher people believe that too. I mean, some people <laughs> yeah. high up believe in that. <laughs> Did not have sexual relations with that woman. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, is there anything wrong with oral sex outside of marriage? Absolutely. Do you want your future spouse having oral sex with somebody else right now? Thank you. This is not a question. Um, <laughs> uh, as for in marriage, I would say remember what we talked about earlier. Marriage is about ministry. If you want oral sex and your spouse does not want oral sex, oral sex is forbidden by Scripture. Because Scripture says this is about loving the other person. This is not about trying to please myself. It's about trying to do something that makes both of us feel comfortable. If you're trying to ask for something that doesn't make both of you feel comfortable and sexually open and vulnerable, if, if one of you is feeling uncomfortable with it, it's wrong. This is an easy question. Now, uh, as far as generally what's okay sexually, 
I would say the Bible forbids anything that's not ministry to someone else, and it forbids anything that's unclean, like anal sex. Oral sex is one of those things the Bible doesn't say is or isn't okay. It's a ministry issue. Good. Let's take the next question. Oh, great. (laughs) Next one. Is masturbation good, healthy, or not? Um, how, what about a single man? How is he able to remain pure without masturbation or watching pornography? So uh, let's, let's go to the Bible, all right? Um, let's go, first of all, to Proverbs chapter 5. Now, I'll say, you know, you're not going to find anything in the Bible that specifically deals with masturbation. There's a, a situation in Levitical law where... Uh, a man had to marry his brother's sister if his brother died. And his brother's wife. His brother's wife, if, sorry, if his brother died. And he would, yeah, it could get complicated. So, and uh, if he spilled his seed, as the Bible puts it, that was considered wrong. But in terms of masturbation, you're not going to find anything specifically about masturbation, but you will find principles that deal with this whole issue of pornography and sexual thoughts. I'm going to let's take a look first at Proverbs chapter 5 verse 3. For the lips of a strange woman drop as a honeycomb and her mouth is smoother than oil, but her end is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death and her steps take hold on hell, on the grave. That's uh, what that word hell means there. So what we find, the first principle is, there is a challenge when you are consumed with strange woman. Are you following me here? The, the principle is strange woman will lead to death. This, this concept of strange. The Bible has two different words for strange. Uh, one word is a stranger that you show hospitality towards. You invite them in. You minister to them. Then it has a different Hebrew word, and I forget the exact word, for, for this kind of stranger, which is one you'd be afraid of, they will steal from you. They will take from you. They will, they will take you to, to death. And this is where the Bible says, be afraid of strange woman. If you go on in verse, uh, uh, let's see, verse 8, remove thy way far from her and come not nigh the door of her house. That's talking about the internet. I know Solomon didn't know that, but <laughs> yeah, let, me, let me read it in today's version. Do not go near the websites that would cause you to, to think about strange woman. That's the revised Parker version. And that might even be MySpace and looking at advertisements that make you think, hmm, maybe I could just go back to, you know, you're going to have to guard your heart, and if you have weaknesses in this area... Be real with yourself and admit where you need to watch out. I have a friend who's a man who just simply does not go on the Internet unless his wife is right there with him. He says, you know, I just don't even check my email. It's not that he's into Internet pornography. He says, I do not want to do anything that could possibly tempt me. Yes, so this is an issue of purity. And, And to me, the real issue behind masturbation is not the sexual act. It's what's happening in the mind. Are you all following me? I mean, the sexual act is, is a normal bodily function that occurs in an intimate moment. But it's what's happening in our minds that creates the impurity. And so, verse 15 of Proverbs chapter 5, Drink waters out of thine own cistern, 
and running waters out of thine own well. In other words, go to your wife. Um, and without getting too graphic, but it is in the Bible, verse 19. Let her be as the loving hind and pleasant roe. Let her breast satisfy thee at all times, and be thou ravished always with her love. Then in verse 20, And why wilt thou, my son, be ravished with a strange woman, and embrace the bosom of a stranger? You, you get the principle here? We are to focus our attention on who God has called us to be, with the person God has called us to be. Um, and that means that my wife is the focus of my fantasies. <laughs> you know, I, I am not going to let a strange woman occupy that sacred territory. I'm not going to do it. Now, I'll be honest with you. When it comes to pornography, and, and we've dealt with several couples with this, one guy, it started with pornography, then it, he stopped sleeping with his wife, and he was going to go into ministry. And then after he stopped sleeping with his wife, he eventually left his wife and moved in with a girlfriend he found on the Internet. Pornography is a sin. And we need to treat it as a sin. Now, you will not overcome pornography. This is our experience in dealing with couples who are struggling with this. You will not overcome pornography by yourself. You need accountability. So if you are struggling with pornography, there are, uh, you know, there's a great book, Every Man's Battle, that you should read. But just reading that book is not going to overcome the problem. It is such an addictive thing that the only way you can overcome is if somebody has accountability of your computer or of your access to, to, to anything that could even tempt you towards pornography. Have accountability systems. Uh, download things in your computer so that anybody who wants to could look at what you're looking at and have your friends do that. Is this making sense to everyone? You will not accomplish this by yourself. You need help. Just like an alcoholic, he cannot overcome his alcoholic tendencies unless he does what? He admits he's an alcoholic. Yes. It's called eyes. Right. And that comes from eyes. Job 31. Verse, is it verse 3? Yeah. Th or verse 1. Job 31 covenant verse 1. Eyes is a There's a software called Covenant Eyes, but it comes from Job 31 verse 1. I will make a covenant with my eyes not to look on a woman, on a maid, I think it uses. But I'll make a covenant with my eyes. And that covenant can only be successful if you have accountability. That's what a covenant needs. So thank you, Covenant Eyes. It's a great piece of software that will help you do that. All right. Uh, let's, are we adequate on that one? Oh, one last thing about masturbation. I'm going to be honest that the devil uses the guilt of masturbation to depress Christian spirituality. And I, can we talk straight here? Is this okay? I mean... I have seen young people who have been at the point of suicide because of their guilt over masturbation. That is the accuser speaking. My God is a God of grace and love. He knows what the issues are. He knows the struggles. And He has the power for you. But He knows the struggles. He knows the human heart is desperately wicked. He knows the struggles we have with sexuality. And my God of love is able to save to the utmost. When the devil brings in these thoughts, I can never do it. This is impossible. You're so low down. 
you're lower than a snake's navel, you have to remember our God is bigger than the devil. Amen? He is, the devil is the accuser of the brethren. Uh, do we have... Yeah, there, there are some things written about, you know, eggs stimulants. and so on that are stimulants. Yeah, stimulants um, and narcotics, things, things, that, things that make it harder for you to resist temptation. Yeah. By the way, she also has a lot of compassion. You know, she wrote back then, this was back in the early 1900s, she said, I just fear for the youth of today because of the billboards that they can look at in the early 1900s. I'm like, lady, if you could be alive today and see the Internet... You'd be in 24-hour prayer session. And, you know, and so, so the reality is we deal with incredible temptations. They're all around us. God understands, but I believe he also has the power. But don't do it alone. Hand it over to God. Get accountability. You can't overcome these addictions alone. By the way, on, on masturbation, I just want to point out the real problem with sexual things outside of the marital sex is It's a self-focused thing. Masturbation is all about me. It's very easy to pleasure yourself if you know exactly how to do it. And it makes marriage much more complicated. You're going, well, how come they can't just do it the way that I know exactly what to do? So masturbation makes your tendency be more towards sex as a self-focused thing. Yes? Yeah, masturbation is a, is a homosexual act. It's about pleasuring yourself apart from anyone of the opposite sex. Many it's, people use fantasy to go along with it, but that's merely causing it to become fornication. And, yeah, it's, it's a, always evil. It's a unosexual act. Unosexual, yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah, one other thing, you know, another, another uh, promise is, I think it's Psalm 101, verse 3, which says, I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. And uh, so just, just God will help you with this. I understand the tremendous struggles. God will help you. He's there. But, but find some people to gather around you. We need to be more open about these things instead of it becoming uh, just this, this private struggle of our hearts and, and we have this continual sense of failure. Come to Sabbath school tomorrow. We're going to talk about righteousness by faith. I think some of that will help oh, you. Oh, one other thing yes. on the masturbation issue just also one of the best things you can do for yourself is set some standards so that you say look i'm not going to go on the internet when i'm alone and it's late at night and i'm lonely make make some some guidelines for yourself if the magnets are really close it's very hard not to let them get together but if you just stay away from those situations where the magnets are close you can deliver yourself from a lot of bad situations all right good now next one if you think you're in love and you feel in love but it ends up not being true but you still have feeling for that person. How do you let that go? Painfully. <laughs> Painfully. Um, you know, obviously, if something has not worked out, if you, if you reach the point where you realize, I have feelings, but this is not ordained of God. Or at least the other person doesn't feel it's ordained of God. I've had girls come up to me and say, I believe that God wants you to marry me. And I kind of go... <laughs> Uh, when God tells me the same thing, we have a deal. <laughs> I never said that to him, by the way, just so you know. So um, when, you, when you have this kind of uh, relationship, these feelings for somebody else, feelings do not go away overnight. Have any of you found that? There is no on and off switch. 
for feelings. So the worst thing you can do is to try and find somebody else to, uh, to take care of that pain. In other words, if I fall in love with someone else, I won't feel this pain of missing that person. It's a bad idea for them, and it's a bad idea for you. So what you need to do is, is let that, that pain, as we mentioned earlier, wind yourself around God. Now, one of the, the texts I didn't cover yesterday is from Isaiah 40, where it says, Those that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. You know what the Hebrew word for wait is? You know what another word, another synonym for the Hebrew word wait is? It's wind. It's wind, like wind about. So here's what, what you need to do when you're struggling, when you feel like you can't walk, you can't talk, you're just hurting so bad. Those that wind, listen to this, those that wind themselves about the Lord shall renew their strength and mount up with wings as eagles. Now, if you don't feel you can fly, what does it tell you? Wait upon you, the Lord. When, if you can't fly, wait upon the Lord. You may not be able to fly right away, but, at least, but maybe you'll be able to run. And if you can't run, what does it say you can do? You can walk. And right now you're crawling. <laughs> but, but, but if you wind yourself around God while you're waiting for that pain to dissipate, if you wind yourself about Him, He will renew your strength and you'll fly again. All right. What else do we have? All right. Is talking to a married man for two hours on the phone bad if he says we're just friends and his wife isn't the jealous type? Um, <laughs> is... <laughs> There is nothing wrong with talking on the phone with a married man for two hours if you're married to him. (laughs) And if you're not, um, especially when you have to ask the question, he says we're just friends. If he says we're just friends, what does that mean? He's trying to stop me from the conviction of my conscience. If he says, my wife isn't the jealous type, these, these are huge red flags. And this has written all over it, red flags. It's talking to him, if you're asking... It feels like this is wrong, but please tell me it isn't. I would ask, is it wrong to talk to a single man for two hours on the phone? It may be. If you're not planning on getting into a more intimate relationship with this guy, and you're not planning to move toward marriage with him, you're not interested in exploring that, what are you going to talk about for two hours? The weather? You're going to be talking about how you feel, what you think. You're going to be bonding. Bonding with somebody that you may want to marry and you're not sure about it, is somewhat risky for two hours on the phone, but, you know, it may be that's the way the Lord's calling you. Bonding with someone for two hours who's already married to someone else, you have the stamp of God that says, this is not a person you're going to marry, therefore, don't bond with them in this intimate way. All right, good. Is it wrong to sleep in the same bed with a friend without having sex? Well, firstly... uh, (laughs) I mean, I can imagine that there, there might be some kind of extreme situation that would, occur, that, that would make this occur. I mean, I, I don't know what it would be, but, you know, you, you may have, you arrive at somebody's house at 3 o'clock and there's 10 people and you end up having to share beds and everybody's in the same room. I mean, that might be okay. You know, actually, I faced a, a situation like this once. I have to tell you this story. Really fast. It was another boyfriend. You never told me, honey. (laughs) (laughs) I was in a foreign country Uh with my boyfriend, (laughs) and he had just preached. And we came to the house with my boyfriend. Yes, and it wasn't you. (laughs) And 
And we came to this house where the people um, didn't speak squat English. And they just brought us in. And, yes. They, okay, they didn't speak any English. And these people, they, they knew we were drop-dead tired. We'd just gotten there. We had major jet lag. And all the rest of our mission team happened to be somewhere else. And we're stuck in this house. And the people said, basically, they communicated to us, you're very tired. Come in here and sleep. And they opened the door, and there was a bed. And they sent both of us in there, and they shut the door. Apparently, they did not realize we were not married to each other. And we stood there, and we looked at each other. And he said, don't touch me. <laughs> and he laid on one side of the bed, and I laid on the other side of the bed, and we did not even so much as touch a toenail. And I was so dead. I was asleep in like 10 seconds. I'm, I'm serious. So, you know, in that situation, I don't think that was sinful. I couldn't communicate to the people. I swear, I would have found somewhere else to sleep if I could have communicated with them. In that situation, okay. In all other situations, don't play with temptation. Yeah, it's, it's a, you know... Uh, what's the proverb? I mean, Ecclesiastes, I used to quote, uh, you know, how can, you know, it, two are better than one, for if one falls down, the other can lift him up. And how can a man keep warm alone? But <laughs> the reality is, although I quoted that, I never attempted to keep it, except there was a guy who slept in my bed once. But he slept on top of the sheets and I slept underneath. All right. <laughs> All right, let's see what's next. Okay, people say that it's best to wait until you're older to start courting, but what if you started early? What do you do now? Um, that, that's a great question. It depends on your age. I think the younger you are, uh, the more inclined I am to say either you've got two drastic options in front of you. Either you're going to have a really long courtship or... It's just a matter of time until you have a breakup. I mean, getting married young, I mean really young, is just, it, it's fraught with difficulties. And I know some people who've done it, and, and sometimes it works out, but it's generally not ideal. You don't have the emotional stability, you don't have the financial stability yet. And so really, why, why do we date when we're younger? We don't generally date because we want to get married to that person. I mean, we may dream about it, oh, one day I'll marry this guy. But you're still saying that five guys later. <laughs> and so when we do it, it's because we want to get intimate with the other person. It's intimacy before commitment. So my, my view of it is you may have to look seriously at this relationship and say, am I just trying to get privileges with my friend? Privileges of intimacy. Or, you know, whether it's emotional or whether it's physical. Privileges of intimacy. Or am I really aiming towards marriage here. Yeah. And if you're not aiming towards marriage, better get out of it sooner while you can still keep your heart intact than to keep playing with their feelings. I would add, what is the point of dating? When a person is really young, you know, if you're dating and you say, okay, but we're not going to hold hands or anything like that, well, it kind of ends up being like kindergarten dating, you know? Yeah, he's my boyfriend. Ew! You don't, if you're not really having any kind of physical intimacy or emotional intimacy, is it really dating? And if you are building physical intimacy and emotional intimacy, realize the chance of your breakup is almost 100% if you're young. And then you're building physical intimacy with someone, and the next relationship that you have and the next relationship that that person has, they're going to start at exactly where 
you've finished. If, if you got as far as holding hands and putting your arm around each other in the two years you dated, the next person that you date, you're going to start at, at holding hands and putting your arm around each other and go on from there. And every time you get into another relationship, you want to progress farther because there's this strong feeling of, well, i got to get at least as far as I was last time. There's no thrill left in just doing that. You know, playing footsie isn't as much fun when you can kiss. And <clears throat> so by the time you get five or ten people down the road, where are you going to be in your physical intimacy? If it's just emotional intimacy that you're building, how far are you going to go in your emotional intimacy? And every time you get closer in emotional intimacy, your breakup is more painful. Do you really want that for yourself? Anytime you date somebody, you're either going to break up with them or you're going to get married. If you're not going to get married to them, why do you want to go through a breakup? It just doesn't make sense, does it? You lose a friend, you go through a lot of pain. I know this is tough because there's emotions involved. You know, It's easy for us to stand up here and go, all right, you know, break up or prepare for a long courtship for marriage. The reality is there's a lot of emotions, there's a lot of feelings, and I'd encourage you to speak to someone, work through this, because it's going to be hard to do on your own. Oh, one other thing. I talked to somebody who was very wise the other day, and I was very impressed with his approach. He said he and his girlfriend are both in college, and they have a couple of years before they're going to be ready to get married to each other. And they know that it's going to be difficult to keep their intimacy so that it doesn't progress too deep. In case you haven't noticed, the more emotionally intimate you are with someone, the more you long to be physically intimate with them. If you know the physical intimacy is not appropriate at this stage of the game, don't get into that emotional intimacy. So he and his girlfriend have an agreement. They only speak to each other once a week on the phone. If you don't have the self-control to do that, maybe it's not for you. How about you break up and wait until it's time to actually date somebody and find a spouse? If it's time for you to find a spouse, great. If it's not, do you want to go through that kind of a painful situation where you have to continually discipline yourself not to get as close as you want to emotionally? Maybe you can do it. More power to you. All right. Advantages and disadvantages of marrying a non-Adventist. Well, Were there we... any advantages? <laughs> <laughs> Only if you're a non-Adventist, too. Uh, yes. Yeah, some of, some of the, uh, the things to think about. You know, I, here's what I've heard. Have you seen the Adventist guys? You know, there are three guys in my church, and I wouldn't be caught dead dating them. You know, so, so therefore, where am I going to fish? GYC. <laughs> if your pond's too small... There's always an airplane. <laughs> just, just because your pond has three fish you don't like, don't assume that all Adventist ponds are equal. <laughs> all right. What does the Bible say? Can two walk together except they be agreed? We are very clear in our church with good reason. I have counseled many couples that have difficult relationships because they do not believe the same. They're arguing over which church people go to, or, or one is staying at home drinking beer. Um, the weddings are a mess because you've got these two different families that don't have the same culture, and you're arguing over whether you have alcohol at the wedding. Uh, when, the ch when children come along, that's when it really comes out, because how are you going to raise your kids? And so people don't think about that. Here's what I found. You know, why do people marry a non-Adventist? Because they dated a non-Adventist. Don't, they don't start out saying, I'm going to marry 
a non-Adventist. They start out dating a non-Adventist. It'll be fine. That's what I hear. It'll be fine. It's just a date. What's, what harm is there in a date? You date him. You love him. You marry him. And so if you start out dating, that's where it begins. Then, you know, it's evangelism dating. If I date them, they'll become an Adventist. Maybe for a while. You know, it might happen. But how many of you like to be pressured to believe something you don't believe just because you love a person? All right, I'm just going to do And by the way, that's a good principle. If, if your boyfriend or girlfriend is making you dress a certain way or act a certain way in order to measure up, measure up to their fairy tale expectations, that's a bad thing. But when you are having to believe a whole new belief system just because, well, my boyfriend or girlfriend believes it, so I better believe it, that's not a good thing. So don't date them if you don't plan on marrying them, and Scripture's clear on this point. You mentioned that you saved your first kiss for your wedding day. Is that what you think everybody should do? It was good. It was really good. I, I suppose we should point out, this was not the first time that either of us had kissed anyone. It was the first time that we had kissed each other. We did kiss on the cheek before when we were dating, but not when we were um, engaged. Or, or, I mean, when we were engaged, but not, you know, we didn't kiss on the lips until our wedding day. Is that the standard and everybody needs to do it? Not necessarily. Um, we made that standard for ourselves because both of us felt that when we reached the kissing point, we had found in other relationships, when we hit the kissing point, that was when things could get intense. Things could start going down the slippery slope. And both of us chose, no, we're not going to do, do that. For us, that was where it was. Now, some people say, no, no, kissing is okay. I had somebody tell me the other day, you know, I just decided that the, the line I'm going to make is I'm not going to kiss until my wedding. And, and she just started dating somebody. And I talked to her a couple weeks later and said, so how's the not kissing thing going? Well, we actually never talked about that standard. And so um, we, we have kissed. But he's, uh, it, it's okay. And, and things are just so different than it ever was before. Well, you know, maybe that's okay for her. And in every relationship, there is, there is a, a difference. You know, every, every relationship is unique. I can't tell you what works for you. I can tell you you need to keep you need to figure out where that line is for you where you start getting into something that's more intense than you're ready for and stay far away from it. Because if you if you say, "Well, I can go a little bit farther. I can go a little bit. It's this is this is going to be okay this time. You're playing with the devil." And and I would just recommend that you find something that you feel is compatible with Christian purity. I know many people who have had a, a wonderful, pure relationship and they've chosen to kiss while they were dating or engaged. I just say physical intimacy should be proportionate to the commitment in your relationship. Intimacy without commitment spells trouble. It always spells trouble. Physical intimacy like sex when you aren't married, like commitment, is violation of the Bible. And physical intimacy of a lesser sort when your proportionate commitment is not there is a kind of emotional um, use of one another. I'm not going to call it fornication, but just be sure that what you're doing with one another is of the, the highest sort of Christian purity. Uh, you know, you've heard of the little saying, your body is the temple of God, and we often use that for health. But really, the Bible uses it within the context of sexual purity. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. <clears throat> and it says... Verse 18, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. Flee fornication. 
flee is another word for run fast. (laughs) Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. What, know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own? For you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So remember that the Holy Spirit's in you. So you have to check with the Holy Spirit. Is this appropriate? And the problem is, once you get the hormone rush going, you're not thinking straight. So you get to certain points in the relationship, and you say, we'll be okay, we'll be okay, because you, you like the thrill, you like the hormones. But it gets to a certain point where your brain is not screwed on straight. And so don't think at that point that you can think rationally. Step back and let the Holy Spirit be in charge of your relationship. Yeah, you might remember the, the story I told about when I went into the house with the guy who, you know, I realized, oh, I'm alone in the house with him. His, his mom and sister aren't here. I should have gone out right away. This is the same principle. When you know you're in a situation, the Holy Spirit says, get out. Don't stand around wondering if you should obey the Holy Spirit. Um, one, one last thing that I would mention, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. Uh, when, before Alan and I started dating, he gave us a teddy bear. He was a smart man. You uh, hold the teddy bear, you know, you hug a teddy bear, and we named it Corey after 1 Corinthians 7.1. It is good for a man not to touch a woman. I wouldn't even let him hug me goodbye when he went back to Africa. We were attracted to each other, we were interested in each other, but I said, no, I don't want physical intimacy to mess up our minds and, make, and cloud our judgment. So I shook his hand. He went away to Africa. And a month later, we started dating. And when, we came, when I flew to Africa four months later, uh, four months after we started dating, and I had been his girlfriend for four months, I hugged him for like half an hour in the airport. I'm telling you, everybody else had already left, and all the security people are standing around looking at us. It was like a commercial or something. <laughs> but I didn't kiss him. That hug was amazing, though, because we had so much... Love for each other already by that time. We did speak about it afterwards and said, well, in our covenant it does say pr- no prolonged and intense hugging, but we didn't define how long prolonged was. <laughs> <laughs> Legalists, all right. So, when you want to talk to certain young ladies, how do you approach them? I had a friend who, who would walk up to people and say, hi, my name's George, how do you like me so far? <laughs> You know, you begin with you begin with courtesy, and it's your character will be demonstrated in the fact that you don't flirt. When you flirt, you attract a certain kind of person, a flirter. That's who you attract. If you want to attract a quality person, then you will be a gentleman, and uh, you you are going to. And, and this is what happened. With us, I, she, she wasn't even sure that I liked her, you know, at the beginning. I was very careful. I was sure he didn't. Yeah. And that's, that's why I hung around him. See, it worked. <laughs> <laughs> so what happened with us is that I was, I, you know, I was opening the door. I was showing, I was being courteous. I was being a gentleman. I was not presuming on time with her. And she felt comfortable. She said, I can trust this person because he's not trying to make a move. You know what guys do? As soon as you're trying to make a move and you're trying to be smooth and those kinds of things, women are not stupid, guys. 
they pick up on this. And, and they, they figure out, you know, this guy is making moves. Unless you want to pick up a stupid woman. You know? So, so the ones who are smart, they'll pick up and they can see through it. So you want a quality woman, you're going to treat her with respect. Now, in our case, it was circumstances. We, we ended up going to the same potluck. She wanted free food. I wanted free food. <laughs> we went to the same potluck, but she didn't know anyone there because it was a South African potluck. And so, so and he invited me because he wasn't a flirt or anything. I thought, this guy, I feel safe around him. He's not giving me the eyes. He's not smiling at me. He's not joking with me. He's safe. I feel comfortable with him. So I said, sure, I'll go to the South African potluck with you. Free food. So she, she then was stood behind me. We had another friend, Heather Crick. She got swallowed up in the crowd. And then the two of us were left alone, and people assumed we were married. So they would come up to me and say, Hi, Alan, I haven't met your wife yet. <laughs> and I'm like, well, I haven't either, but this is Nicole. <laughs> but I had met my wife, right? <laughs> and uh, so then, you know, they... It, we, we had time, we interacted with them, we went our different ways, there was no pressure. But later on, Heather and her were looking for me, and, and they came looking, eventually found me, and she said something that let me know that, hmm, maybe there could be some interest <laughs> hey, here. Hey, 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 no, 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 no. I, I, in defense of myself, I just thought, this is so funny. So many people thought that we were married. I should just say it. You know, maybe he'll take it the wrong way. No, he won't. So I said, well, I should have just stood up on a chair and said, has anyone seen my husband? And they would have all pointed you out. <laughs> exactly one year later to the day we were married. <laughs> anyway, so, you know, and I will say, I spent a lot of time handing it over to God and, I, and looking at my communication with her, uh, making sure that this was representative of a Christian. So go by good Christian principles, use courtesy, don't try and make a move. Mm -hmm. I want to I mention, you know, for some people, flirting is just a way of life. And I do understand that because there was a time in my life when I remember I was talking to one of my guy friends and I was like, oh, I'm so disgusted with her. She's always flirting. She's the worst flirt. And he looked at me and he's like, you are so funny. You're joking, right? You are the worst flirt I've ever known anywhere. And I was like, no way. I don't ever go sit on guys' laps like she does. He's like, oh, come on. You are always flirting. And it's true. I was always touching guys. I was always goofing off with them, flicking their hair or whatever it was. I was always flirting. And I was a terrible flirt. And that was a horrible realization for me. But by God's grace, I did learn to overcome those habits, that habit of a way of relating to guys, so that when, when I met Alan, not only did he not see me as a flirt, but I was attracted to him by his character, by who he was. And, and I was initially the thing that made me feel most comfortable around him was, this guy isn't flirting with me. He's, trying, he's not trying to get anything out of me, no thrills, no kicks. He's just there. He's just being nice. Yeah, there comes a point in time when... Um if you're serious about someone, you're going to speak to their parents. And uh, that, that can be a kind of scary thing to do. Her parents were here in the States. I was in Africa. You know, I, I was on the other side of the ocean. How do I go about this? And so I did the very African thing, and I offered nine cows and a mule. <laughs> you know why I offered a mule. <laughs> there was a certain... Because he said I was stubborn. <laughs> They, it was all in good humor. So, but I had, to, I had to pick up the phone and call. And, you know, I think it's appropriate to let, to let parents know when you are interested in, this, 
well, particularly for a guy, if you are interested in their daughter, to let them know of your interest. I believe that's uh, very biblical and it's the spirit of prophecy. All right, we have another question here. If your friend is in a bad relationship, how do you help them without turning them against you? Wow. Your best friend loves a loser and you have to be their conscience. Um, You have a duty to express your opinion, but there is a certain way to express your opinion. According to Ephesians chapter 4, we should tell the truth in love. So how you go about telling the truth, the way I like to think about this, with any person, I have a bridge that, that connects me with them. I call it a bridge of trust. And truth, I can only send over a load of truth across that bridge of trust, depending on how strong that bridge is. So if I know a person really well and I have a strong bridge of trust between me and them, I can send over the the heavy armory of truth and they'll handle it. Are you following me? But if I don't have a strong bridge of trust with that other person and I try and come in with with major truth, I'm going to alienate them from me. So first I have to assess how well do I know this person. If I know them well, if I've got a bridge of trust, I am going to be honest with them because if I'm not, somewhere down the line, God is going to hold me accountable. So I'm going to say... I'm going to say something like this. You know, Jane, I have to be honest with you. I feel uncomfortable with the way your relationship with Jack is progressing. I feel very uncomfortable. And here are three ways that I feel uncomfortable. I like to be specific. I don't like to draw character judgments. I like to deal with the issues. You know what I'm talking about? She may draw character judgments. But I can't afford to draw character judgments. Why? Because if you're in a relationship, are you going to be loyal or disloyal to your boyfriend or girlfriend? Hopefully, you're going to be loyal. So I don't want to spark that loyalty. What do you mean? He's the nicest guy I've ever met. You know how he takes care of me? Why, the other night, he brought me a flower. You know. Yeah, so so I, don't want to, I don't want to cause defensiveness. And, and if I draw character judgments, that will cause defensiveness. But if I say... Think of it this way. If you can say... He's just not trustworthy, which is a character judgment. Or you can say, I've noticed that he's told you lies on several occasions, and other times you've told me you think that maybe he's lying. Then you're getting to the issues. Use their words instead of your own, because they've expressed stuff to you. See, they see the red flags, but they paint them with green <laughs> to say it's okay. And so you have, to, you have to just remind them of the very things they've said. So help me out, Chad. You've been telling me about him. It seems, it is, you've said this, you've expressed a caution about this, and you've expressed a caution about that, and a caution about that. It seems to me that you're seeing red flags, but I, I'm not sure why you're not reacting to them. You're you've opening me, it up. You've told me you're concerned about his anger problem, and I'm wondering why you're still interested in marrying him when you don't see that being resolved. Right. So you, you get the idea how to go about it without, without drawing judgments. All right, do we have any other questions? I think we've covered the ones that have come in. Any other questions from the floor? Okay, we've got one at the back, then one here. Go, go for it. Long-distance relationships can be an incredible blessing because we had one. <laughs> I'll tell you one of the reasons why they're an incredible blessing is that 
it's really easy to keep 1 Corinthians 7 verse 1 when you have a whole ocean between you. But they can also distort your view of the other person because you have time. Like you're on MSN, you know, Messenger or MySpace or however you're communicating. You have time to think about what you say. You're not reacting reflexively. And so you can paint a picture that the other person wants to hear. You also don't have to deal with their irritating habits. Not that I had any, but... But, I mean, you, you're not in that environment where you have to deal with it. So when we, we had a long-distance uh, relationship for a significant period of our courtship, but when she came out, I made sure that we went on a camping trip with some friends so that she could really see me the way I was. And I went out with her co-portering. She kicked me out. I had never done co-portering in the States. She kicked me out of the van and had me work with some people. She wanted to see what I was made up of. So you've got to find ways to get past barriers. Another thing with long distance to help me find out who she really was, I said, I want you to give me three adults who are close to you in your life and one close friend, and I want to speak with them and ask them what you're really like. And I told him, go for it. Here are some people who know me well. I'm not going to tell them what to say. And I told my friend, I told my, you know, my family, you tell them whatever you want. And so I did. I emailed, I talked, I chatted to them. So, Because I knew that the idealistic distortion in a long-distance relationship can be so much worse. You can build up a sandcastle of that person, and it's not reality. Yeah. When, when my best friend, my best friend Christine, who's now Christine Neal, Christine, I, I said, Christine, I met this guy, and he's nice, and I, I just can't figure him out. He's, there's something intriguing about him. I really like who he is. You go get to know him, and you tell me what you think. So she did. She went and talked to him for hours, and she came back and she said, Nicole, he's really nice. He's really nice. I think if you marry him, you'll do well. And Christine had never approved, even remotely, of any guy that I'd liked in my entire life. I, I chose Took somebody who... a lot who, of money. <laughs> I chose somebody who I knew was critical, was intelligent, would ask the right questions, and was not going to be biased by, hey, he's nice, won't it be fun to plan a wedding? <laughs> All right, so you get that long-distance relationships can work because you have to work at them. One of the commitments I made was that I would spend, because we were serious about marriage. I mean, I was 28, she was 26. So one of the commitments we made was that we would spend an hour every night communicating. Because, and, and we used really getting to know your life mate to be to ask real questions, not just the soppy, sentimental, we'll sit in front of a fire, that kind of stuff, although there was some of that. But, <laughs> you know, we, we communicated about issues so that we could really get to know each other. And we didn't have... The, the hormone highs of touching each other to sometimes distract us from that. So can long distance be good? Yes, if you are aware of the dangers. Yeah, the, the problem is pretending. When it's long distance, it's very easy for me to paint him to be who I want him to be. And it's very easy for him to pretend to be who he knows I want. Right. And so when, when two people are ready to pretend, that is the, the disaster of a relationship. But otherwise, long distance can be great. All right. Over here. All right. This is a little setup. A few years ago at camp meeting, there was this one preacher that talked about this study that was done. That this guy went all over the world. He noticed couples. And mm-hmm. he, he counted how many times these couples would touch each other. And so throughout the thing, he found out that Puerto Ricans 
were like the most affectionate people in the world. Like they would touch each other like 170 times within. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad someone understands what I'm saying. Amen. Being single myself, I have the times where like, okay, whatever, I got my thing to do. I'm not worried about that. But you also have those times like you want that touch, you want that affection because that's the culture you've been brought uh-huh. up in. That you go up to a yeah. friend, you may not even know the person, but as soon as you introduce, what? Right. Yeah, 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 exactly. So, so, you know, what you deal with is what's happening to you. Yeah, let's repeat the question. The question is, uh, what do you do when you've got a lot of, in your culture, a lot of physical affection? That's just the way your culture is. And you, you like to be affectionate, and other people are affectionate with you, and it doesn't necessarily mean anything sexual. So I would say, yeah, a lot depends on what's happening to you. The challenge in more affectionate cultures is that you don't know when for the other person their heart suddenly goes boom, 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 boom. You know? So you're just giving them the regular little you know, uh, kiss on the cheek and everything else and, and for them their heart's racing. I remember I had a, a young lady from Argentina that I was kind of intrigued by and uh, she came up to give me a kiss on the cheek. My heart did flip-flops. You know, and I realized, whoa, you know, for her... You know, for me, <laughs> so, <laughs> so you've got to weigh what's happening in your own heart. You know, we can't do that for you. Read your heart and be careful of anything that's got more to it. There's more zing to it. There's something going on here. It's not, is being affectionate wrong? No. No. no, it's the dangers of affection because it's connected to hormones. Well, I was thinking more like you're still single, but you, you get those phases where you're like, I wish I had someone here. What's a good way to like get past that and, and get back to that life of I got things to do that I have to worry about right Enjoying now? Enjoying your singleness. I think yeah. anybody who's been single is at times going to... Yeah, the, the question that we're dealing with is what about if you're single and then you, you want to get back to that stage of enjoying your singleness? I think if you're single, let's be honest, you will have times of loneliness. Was Adam lonely? Was he perfect? Yeah, he was perfect. He was perfect and lonely. Yeah, think about that for a while. <laughs> and, and God allowed that loneliness for a reason. God gave him the gift of loneliness. You thought about that? Loneliness is a gift from God. So there, sometimes I say, you know, my loneliness is my opportunity to recognize I can't depend on another person to satisfy my deepest longings. I have to rely on God. I'm going to let this loneliness drive me to God. Um, for me, I, I lived in the Puerto Rican culture for a while, and in, my, in many ways in my mind, I just became a Puerto Rican. I was living with them, I was going to church with them, I was speaking their language. It was beautiful. I would meet up with people and I'd figure out, this, from the Spanish they're speaking, yeah, he's Puerto Rican. I'd say, are you Puerto Rican? Yeah, me too. That was my initial, and then I go, I mean, I mean I'm sort of, yeah. <laughs> and it was a great culture. When I came back to the States, the first time I went to church and this lady greeted me at the door and gave me a hug, I kissed her on the cheek. And I was like, whoa, nope, back to America. <laughs> it's funny because that study actually showed that Americans are the least affectionate. Yeah, it was, it was immediately I felt this, you know, she like stiffens. <gasps> this woman kissed me on the cheek. I don't even know her. <laughs> it's a different culture. There's nothing evil about the Puerto Rican culture or any other culture that's affectionate. But the question we have to ask is why are we doing what we're doing? Am I getting a high off hormones. If because I'm lonely, do I, do I kind of satisfy that loneliness by getting affection from an opposite sex person? If that's my goal, it's not what God wants me to do. 
God wants us to, to wait until we have the right person to get our hormone highs from them. The right person, the right place, the right time with a commitment before God. Folks, uh, we're going to have a, a free-for-all at the front here as we, you know, after we end this session. But I've really appreciated the questions. I've appreciated the interaction here. Um, we have enjoyed our time with each uh, one of you as we, we've seen you at a distance. Some of you we've gotten to know a little better. I encourage you, God knows your heart. And, and trust Him. I have given up with the fact that I thought, there's no one out there for me. I am gonna be, I'm going to be like Paul, but just kind of a reluctant Paul. You know, I'm going to be like Paul, but I'm not going to be as happy as he was about being single. And so I was just like, this is, this is what I am. And I got into the point where I actually felt comfortable in my singleness. It was at that moment when I met my wife. And, you know, I want to say that was a blessing. I could never have planned it. I couldn't have predicted it. Who would have thought I would have shopped international? You know? but, but God knew. And, and when I first saw her, now, this, this has never happened to me before, and it's a pretty rare occurrence for me. But when I saw her, I felt strongly impressed to go and talk to her, and it was completely non-sexual. I was just like, why should I go talk to her? And I felt the strong impression I had to go speak to her. God led. I had handed it over to God, and He led in my life. God led us together. We didn't depend on that impression or that sign. We had to work it out and pray about it and speak to people. But I knew from that moment that God was doing something. Trust God. He's got the best plan. You give it over to Him, He'll give it back a hundredfold. You know, and I, and I just want to encourage you, if you are lonely, I know most of you are single, realize marriage is not the answer to loneliness. Most married people that are walking past you are even lonelier. Hmm. And they have this desperate feeling of, I married the wrong person. Or for one reason or another, I married... And still I'm lonely. Only now I have no hope of finding somebody who will make my loneliness go away. And there's even a, a survey I read recently on CNN um, that people who, who were unhappy before they got married had a little hump of happiness and then they immediately go back to being unhappy again. They, people who were happy before they got married were happy after they got married. People who were unhappy before they got married were unhappy after they got married. So marriage is not the solution that the world paints it to be. Only God is the solution. And as we long for relationships, we realize, you know, God did create us so that it's not good for man or woman to be alone. But on the other hand, God is the one who is really the answer to loneliness. All right, let's stand together for prayer. Father, we want to thank you that you know those deep nights when we're either recovering from a relationship or longing for one. You've gone to a garden of Gethsemane when every friend deserted you and you were left alone. And yet, Lord, we see that you are willing to embrace that cup for a grander purpose. Help us to find victory in Jesus. Help us to see that you are a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And Lord, may our times of loneliness wind us about you so that we will mount up with wings like eagles. 
We thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was produced by Audioverse and Hope Media Ministry for GYC, Generation of Youth for Christ. If you would like to listen to more great media like this presentation, or if you would like to learn more about GYC, please visit www.gycweb.org. You can also find great witnessing media at audioverse.org and at hopevideo.com.